Good morning, church. We have a nice crowd here today. You all look nice, smell nice. Uh, so happy that you're here. Uh, we are in a series called Onward. And in this series, we are gathering biblical instruction and supernatural revelation on moving forward, on pressing onward. I, I don't know if you're like me, but I don't want 2023 to be a repeat of 2022 or 2021 or 2020 or 1974. Are you with me? I'm just ready for some progress. Anybody in the room ready for progress? Yes. Uh, when you walked in today, you should have received or it was distributed uh, the handout for today. There are a lot of notes that I provided. Uh, so if you need that, will you just wave at our worship post? They will get it to you. There's some here on the front row. A couple there. Progress. Progress. I'm ready to move onward. You are going to have to keep working on your Christian life. I know that may not be what you want to hear, uh, but the truth is, is if you're not intentionally focused on your spiritual life, you, you will slip backwards. Now, I'm not saying you will backslide. Some of us know that lingo. I'm not talking about backsliding. You will just slide backwards. <laughs> do, you, do you get my drift? Like you have to put in intentional effort. You got to keep working on it. There is no pass because you've been a Christian for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or 60 years. You don't get a, a free pass. You don't get to take the week off or the day off or the hour off from being a Christian because you've somehow put in your time and you've done your, your duty. Every day, you and I have to walk with God and spend time with God. If we want our relationship with Jesus to move onward, we've got to put in the work. And that's with everything, by the way, because every garden grows weeds if you don't get out and pick it. You and I have to stay focused on moving onward. And in the first two installments of this series, Onward, I talked about hope in the first sermon, and in the second, I talked about faith. I think both of those sermons were phenomenal. If you didn't get a chance to listen to them, please listen online. They're really good. And I never intended this series to be a series on Abraham. I really didn't. I didn't go into Onward with that in mind, but I just can't get away from it. I can't get away from Abraham and what God is trying to speak to us through that. You know, um, our first two sessions were on Abraham, different aspects. And again today, church, we're going to look at Abraham this week. So we're going to continue onward in Genesis chapter 12. I hope you brought your Bibles because it's a lot of text today and I want you to, you know, it's not a sin to write in your Bible. You can highlight, you can underline, you can write questions. You can do all of that in your Bible. The, the Bible is not too sacred for your thoughts. Write in it. So open your Bible to Genesis chapter 12. And why don't we go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word to honor that today. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to pick up with verse 4, which we talked about last week. 
for a bit. God had given Abram instruction. And Abram, who is Abraham before the name change, Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the Oak of Murrah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there. What did he build? So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and high on the east. And there he built an altar, another one, to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princess, princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. She was abducted. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Adam's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Then we are going to skip to chapter 13. Do you guys have it on the screen? Ah, verses 1 through 4. So Abram went up from Egypt he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Today I want to talk to you on the subject of building altars and pitching tents. Father, we come before you today. I thank you, Father, for uh, what you've already done in the room through our worship to you. I thank you uh, just for the commitment of this church to lay it all at the altar, to just come before you and to worship you with our full heart. God, we hope that it was pleasing to you. God, now it's, it's time for us to turn our attention to receive from you, to, to gather insight from your word, from Holy Spirit to speak to us. So God, take this message and cut it 
150 different ways so that it applies to each and every one of us uniquely. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, Amen. You may be seated. Anyone like to go camping? A lot of us. Anyone like to go glamping? Okay, a few dudes. Nice. I, I like to go camping. Um, last season, it, last season we bought a new tent, and it's one of those that you just kind of push the button and it pops up. And I'm excited about it, but I've since purchasing that very nice, efficient tent, found out my wife isn't into camping as much. Now that she's getting older, she would like me to invest in something a little more, uh, I was going to say expensive. Uh, her words were like an RV, and I said, but this tent is new. We got to get a good 10 years out of this tent. (laughs) We like to camp. I was blessed with a campmate, really. My wife loves to camp, and um, we have some camping stories. Specifically, we have some tent stories I'll just share one with you. You may have heard it before, but we were driving on our way to Florida one year. Micah and Michaela, this was before Addison, Jordan, and Tristan joined our family, but Micah and Michaela were very young. And we were driving to Florida, and I had made a reservation at a campground where we were going to pitch a tent. And we got off track, got off schedule, and we didn't pull up to around 2 or 3 in the morning, maybe 3.30 in the morning. Couldn't find the place, first of all. It was pitch black out in the middle of nowhere. We drive on to the campground, and I'm trying. I care. I was, I'm a people pleaser, okay? My very nature is to people please. So then I was like really, everywhere I'm driving, I'm aware that my lights are shining on tents and in RV windows, and I'm like, I try to dim it, but then you dim it, and you can't see where you're going, And so that's a problem, and we finally, after searching the campgrounds for quite a while, find our spot. It's 3.30 a.m. I'm exhausted. It had been a long drive. I get out of the car. The kids are asleep in the back. Mike and Michaela are asleep, and Carrie's sitting there. She's about ready to get out and help me pitch the tent. And I walk over to where our spot is, and I realize that there are roots all in the ground. Like, not, I'm sorry, the roots aren't in the ground. They're laying on top of the ground. So where we would pitch our tent, uh, we would have a nice root mattress, and it would just be absolutely impossible to sleep. It would be impossible. I had a bad back. Even if you were, you were fit and young and good looking, you couldn't sleep on a, a place like that. So I go back to the car, and I'm like, okay, this isn't going to work. And I walk her over, and I show the roots, and she's like, no, that's not going to work at all. And so we were only staying for the one night before we left early in the morning, to head on to the rest of our journey. This wasn't the campground we were staying for days. So we decided, well, we'll just recline our chairs. We'll sleep for a little bit. Then we'll get back on the road. Why take out the tent? Well, we actually did try to get the tent out, but the poles were broken. So we decided the car was the best option. So we cracked the windows, and I run an extension cord and a small fan, and we're in a, a car. I don't remember what kind of car it was. Uh, but it was, you know, a four-door car, and we run a, an extension cord into the car window, and we have the fan going, so we at least get some fresh air in the car. And um, all of a sudden, I just start itching, and I 
I tell, uh, tell Carrie that I'm getting bit by mosquitoes, which was weird because mosquitoes don't like me. I never get bit by mosquitoes. I could be in the swamp of Louisiana and I'm not going to get bit. My wife could be on Mount Everest with no atmosphere and the mosquitoes will find her. And she's like, really? The mosquitoes are biting you. They're not biting me at all. And I'm like, oh, it's bad. And I'm slapping everywhere. And so we roll up the windows and we you know, just, just a crack and we fall asleep. And I'm, I'm asleep at around 4.30 a.m. Somewhere around 7 a.m., something catches my attention. And I open my eyes to see a man standing at the hood of my car, shirtless, standing at the grill. And I see the smoke from bacon rising as he's watching me asleep in the car while I've got a fan blowing on me. He sees me make eye contact with him and he immediately turns his attention away. And I look at Carrie and uh, we, the night before we had just become delirious. I mean, to the point that we had said because of the mosquitoes that we should just take the tent, cut a hole in the bottom of the tent and then lay it on the car so that the mosquitoes can't get in. And we crack up laughing. The kids wake up scared. Mommy, what's wrong with you? And they think we're crazy. But at 7 a.m., now my eyes are swollen. They're bloodshot. And I see a man cooking breakfast at his altar, about ready to sacrifice a pig. And he's looking over at me, a man with no tent. <laughs> How out of place I must have looked to him at a campground without a tent. I, I suppose we looked a little bit weird sleeping in a car at a campground. The tent would have identified us as a camper, but the car just identified us as odd. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was just weird. Just being passed out in the car with no tent, it left some unanswered questions for the man cooking bacon at the hood of my car. I have a lot of tent stories. Like the time our tent almost got carried away in the flood. Anyone else? I have a tent story of uh, being in a storm watch with an active tornado and we were camped under a dead tree. Anybody else? I have got some tent stories. And you know, I bet Abraham has some tent stories too. I imagine he had some tent stories that would make us all laugh. I, I know for sure Noah did. Noah had some tent stories. You should Google Noah's tent stories. That's, that's not good. But Abraham, Abraham had some tent stories as well. If you look at this text that we just read, we see over and over that Noah built an altar and he pitched a tent. If you and I are going to move forward, we have to take inventory of the tents and the altars in our life. Now, let me backtrack and let me just recap the story for us. God tells Abraham to go to a country, to leave his country, to leave his kindred, and to leave his father's house. And God is going to show him the place where he wants him to land, right? And keep in mind that leaving your homeland is a much bigger decision in traditional society rather than in our current society. Of It's very individualistic. It's a mobile culture. I have, kid, I have a son in Australia with a daughter-in-law and two grandchildren. I have a daughter and son-in-law in Tennessee with a baby that's on the way. He's due, she's due the 29th, so in a week from now, actually. In fact, this sermon that I'm preaching you is two parts, so I don't know if I'm going to preach the second part next week or if it's going to be Sherry Bro on the front row. She might be preaching the rest of this sermon 
next week to you. But it's, it's easier in our kind of culture to let kids go where they want to go and where God is calling them. And all I got to do is FaceTime them and stay connected. Now, it's not the same. I know it's not the same. But can you imagine in Abram's day when God said, leave everything that's comfortable to you and go to a place. It's not even a promised place where I can tell you it's going to have everything that you want. It's going to be exactly like you want. Everybody's going to love you there. Everybody's going to know your name. It's not like cheers. It's just you're going to walk. And when I tell you to stop, that's going to be your place. And that was a that was a big commitment. So Abraham uh, did what God told him to do. He he said he would go and, and God made a promise to him. And I don't know what God's promise is to you, but because we're grafted into this tree, you get to claim some of these promises from Abraham as well. The promise to Abraham was that God said, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Did you know that you get to be blessed so that you can be a blessing? All because of Abraham. Isn't that, that awesome? You get to claim that God blessed me today. Enlarge my borders, expand my capacity, bless me so that I can bless others. That was a promise to Abraham. God also said that he would bless those who bless Abraham, and he would curse those who dishonor Abraham. God also said that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We are living proof of that promise. You and I get to be blessed today because of Abraham, because of the promises made to Abraham. Now, Listen, let me just make sure that we all understand this morning that we are not saved by making promises to God. We are saved by God making promises to us. There's a big difference. And God made some promises to Abram. So in verse 4, the beginning of our text, it says, So Abram went. He just went. (laughs) It didn't tell us about his sleepless nights. It didn't tell us about his passive-aggressive Facebook post. It didn't tell us about the the pills that he had to take because of the fear or the anxiety or the depression or any of that. Like, he just, he just went. Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And verse 4 throws on, and Lot went with him. His nephew Lot went with him. Just so you understand, Abram's family, his dad was Terah, and Terah had three sons, and Abram was one of them, and they lived in Ur. And they moved from Ur to Haran. Well, one of the sons' name was Haran also. And Haran died in Ur. And then they moved to Haran. And Abram took care of Lot, kind of took Lot under his wing because Lot was the son of the brother who died. You got, you got that? And so I don't know if Abram felt some false responsibility that now that my brother's gone or, you know, I, I saw him die or... Lot really needs my affection and my attention or my guidance. Whatever the case, uh, Abram brought Lot underneath his wing. It says here, though, in verse 4, that Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Lot told Abram to go. God told Abram to go, not Lot. Now, I, I don't know if we missed that little detail But when Abram went, as the Lord had told him, Lot also came with him. And as we move onward, we're talking about moving forward, we have to be careful that we don't try to bring from our old season something into our new season that God never intended to transition with us. We can be so afraid of the next step that we try to make the next step look like the last step and then making the next step look like the 
last step, we actually miss the next step. God told Abram to go, so Abram went, and Lot came also. When Abram finally gets to Canaan, the, the place of promise, there are Canaanites in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, this is it. This is the place that I'm going to give to your offspring. And I imagine, I don't know if Abram said this or not, but I imagine he looked around and he thought, you're giving me this place that's already occupied. This is the promise? Why have you given my promise away before I got here? Why, what am I supposed to do with all of these people? God spoke to Abraham and Abraham built an altar. Lock that away. God spoke to him and Abraham built an altar. The place of promise, sometimes your place of promise will appear to already be occupied. The place that God is taking you, the career that God is wanting to set into your lap, the ministry position, the, the, the whatever it is that God is calling you to, sometimes you'll get there and it will look like it's already occupied. But listen to me. If God sent you to it, he's going to clear the land. Don't allow the doubts of the enemy to say there are too many people in this field. There's not enough need for what God has put in my hands. There are too many problems in this region. God isn't going to be able to use me. If God has called you to an area, he's going to clear the land. Be careful that we don't let our fear occupy the promise before our faith does. When Abraham and Sarai arrived, they were strangers and pilgrims in the midst of a pagan society. They were a stranger and a pilgrim in a pagan society. You know, you were meant to be a stranger in this world. In the pagan, ungodly system of the world, you are meant to be a pilgrim and a stranger, but you are not meant to be a pilgrim and a stranger in your inheritance. The place where God has called you, you aren't, you aren't made to feel out of place. I, I remember a time walking through the church where Carrie and I, I mean, the, the church that God had called us to, that God had called us to build, and some things had started happening, and things, some things weren't right, and God was moving on us, and he was revealing some things. And I remember we were walking down the hall, and we would say, this doesn't even, we don't even feel welcome in the church that God had called us to plant. God never intended for you to feel like a pilgrim in your place of inheritance. If you feel like an outsider in the place that God has called you to build, you, my friend, are under attack from the enemy. So we looked around and saw the Canaanites and the population, the occupation. And he moved over to the hill country. He pitched a tent. And the Bible says he built another altar. And this time, he didn't build an altar in response to hearing from the Lord. He built an altar, and then he called upon the name of the Lord. And, and so now that we see two altars being built in our text, we can, we can ascertain that there's a trend developing. Okay, there's a trend that I want you to see. Ad, Abram builds an altar when God speaks to him. And Abram builds an altar when he is calling out to God. So altars are a place where you and I chat with God. 
Altars are a place where you and I commune with God, where we fellowship with God, where we hear from God. And in Genesis 12, 10, then all of a sudden, I mean, Adam is hearing from God. He's building altars. He's building altars. He's asking to hear from God. Then all of a sudden, in verse 10, the momentum shifts, and it says, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So everything is going great, but then there's a famine. God had just told Abram he was giving him this land, and then Abram looks around and says, but God, I'm hungry. How are you going to feed me? How are you going to feed my family? How are you going to feed the livestock? You see, people made him step to the hillside, but circumstance, a famine caused him to walk away completely. Now, I've never been to Egypt. Never have. I'm not sure that I ever want to. I Maybe it's a great place. Anyone ever been to Egypt in this room? Okay. Well, I wonder why. I've never been to Egypt. I assume it's a great place. I know a couple people from, from Egypt that are just phenomenal, wonderful people. I'm sure it's a lovely place, but in the Bible, Egypt is a symbol of the world system and its bondage. While the land of Israel is a picture of inheritance, Egypt symbolizes self-confidence. Canaan illustrates the life of faith and victory, and Egypt was watered by the muddy Nile River while Canaan gets fresh rain from God. So we know that when you go up to Jerusalem, you're going up, but when you go down to Egypt, you're going down. Over and over, we see Egypt as a place of bondage. Spiritually speaking, going down to Egypt means doubting God's promises and running to the world for help. So we see Abram on a spiritual high, then there's a famine, and he goes down to Egypt. In times of testing, the important question is not how can I get out of this, but what can I learn from this? Abram, in the beginning of his faith, everything shifted when he was faced with the famine. The the altars stopped and he ran down. God alone is in control of our circumstances, by the way. I know that circumstances can get us thrown off. Sometimes it makes us doubt. Sometimes it makes us uh, have unbelief. But the truth is, I, I would be... I would rather be uh, in a famine in the middle of God's will than in a palace out of his will. So they're about to enter Egypt, and then we see Abram come up with a plan. He he turns to his wife, Sarai, who is his half-sister, and he says, "Uh, these people are going to kill me. I, I need you to say that you're my sister instead of my wife, because if you're my wife, they're going to kill me so that they can have you. But if you say that you're my sister, then they'll let me live. So he hatches a plan, and he moved in that moment from trusting God to scheming. And one sin leads to another in our text. We see that first Abraham uh, trusted Egypt as a salvation. Now he's trusting the lie of his wife as his salvation. And Sarai was taken into custody and taken to the house of Pharaoh, and Abram was given livestock. He was given donkeys and sheep and camels, a whole zoo, apparently. And he was given servants, male servants and female servants. He got rich in Egypt. Now, a casual observer of the text would say, Pastor, what's the big deal? 
God clearly used this for Abraham's good because he built his wealth. I mean, what happened to Abram wasn't all that bad. Pharaoh gave Abraham a lot of wealth. Sarah was given her own maid, Hagar. God forgave Abraham's sin and started over again. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal, the big problem is that everything Abraham received in Egypt eventually caused him trouble. Because of the great wealth that he got in Egypt, he and his nephew Lot had too much for the land. They had to part ways. It created a, a family chasm, family conflict. Because of what they got in Egypt, they had to part ways. Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant that they got, such, such a blessing, right? But she brought division and sorrow into the home. And then Lot, having a taste of Egypt, he compared everything to Egypt from then on out. Even when he and Abram were standing, looking at the land, deciding what land they wanted to take, the Bible says that the land Lot was looking at reminded him of Egypt. So he chose that land, and choosing that land and being reminded of Egypt eventually led to the downfall of Lot. So everything that happened in Egypt ended up being bad for Abram. There are actually no benefits of disobedience. It may look like you got more money back on your taxes this go-round because of a little thing here and a little thing here, but there are no benefits to disobedience. It may look like your spouse didn't find out that you deleted the history and you covered the evidence, but there are no benefits to disobedience. It may look like you aced the exam and you got a good grade and the teacher didn't know that you had the paper hidden up under there or somehow you got that on your phone and she didn't see it or somebody sent you the answers, but there are no benefits, no benefits to disobedience. The Lord afflicts Pharaoh with great plagues because of Sarai. Plagues. The ruse worked for Abram. He, he got wealthy, but it didn't work for his wife. She got sent to a harem. It didn't work for Pharaoh. He and his family got plagues. Then Pharaoh calls Abram over, and he says, Listen, man, what, what did you do to me? You said this was your sister, and God revealed that it's your wife. Now, I want you to take your wife, and I want you to go. And it's interesting to me that the Pharaoh said, go, just like God had said initially to Abram, go. Sometimes God will use your adversaries to echo what he's trying to get into your heart. And just because it's coming from someone you don't like, you dismiss it as something that's not of God. But God has a way of echoing the instruction that he needs you to get. So, so it is much better for us to hear from God the first time rather than finding ourselves in Egypt where he brings even our adversary along to echo what he's telling us to say. And that is, go. <laughs> Abram leaves Egypt and goes back to the place where his tent and altar had been in the beginning. So that's the text that we read. That's my, my recap. That's my breakdown. And when I was reading this text, I noticed something very interesting. I don't know if you saw it the first time we read it, but I noticed the entire time that Abram is in Egypt, there is no mention of him building an altar or pitching a tent. When he's hearing from God and things are going great and his purpose is flourishing and he's in his promised land, man, he is hearing from God. 
He is crying out to God. He is pitching his tent, moving from here to there to everywhere, to the hillside to over here, and he is building altar after altar. But the moment disobedience sets in, there's no more altar and there's no more tent. Wherever Abram went in the land of Canaan, he was marked by his tent and his altar. Whenever Abraham abandoned his tent and his altar, he got in trouble. So if we're talking about moving onward, if we're talking about having consistent progress, it might be important for you and I to know what a tent and an altar is. Because I don't want to lose it. I don't want that to be pulled out of my story and find myself in Egypt and having to hear Pharaoh repeat what God had already told me. It seems to me that if we want to progress, if we want progress and we want blessing as we move onward, then we need to be aware of the tents and the altars in our life. For Abraham, the tent marked him as a stranger and a pilgrim who didn't belong to this world, a nomad, an exile, a foreigner. The tent speaks of his pilgrim, of the pilgrim, the person who trusts God one day at a time and is ready to move, the flexibility, ready to move where God wants you to move. Hebrews 11, 9 through 10 says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, Isaac is his son, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that, was, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So the tent symbolized a pilgrim, a foreigner, someone who recognized they weren't in the worldly system. They weren't of the world. They were in the world, but not of the world. I, I have a question for you. Are you marked as one that is not of this world? When the Canaanites saw the tent moving from place to place, Abram was marked as someone that's not from here. Someone that's, that's ready to move at any point the Lord says to move. Are you, Matthew, are you marked as someone who's not of this world? Tents are, are pretty important. It, it's a notice to the world that, hey, I'm living here, but I'm living here temporarily. I'm, as the singer says, just passing through. I'm a temporary resident. You are set apart. You are set apart in this world by your obedience, ready to move. When God says to move, you move. Obedience, by the way, is faith in action. Our obedience to God breaks the control of the world over us. It, it separates us. So our, our tent is not just a temporary structure, but it, it's something that separates us from the world. It separates us from the settlements. And that's exactly what your obedience does. There are many, many, many people in the world who call themselves Christians. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If your faith is alive, James said, your faith will be accompanied with works. We're not saved by works. Thank you, Jesus. But works are evidence of a faith that is alive and active. The tent represents the temporary, and that's, that's part of what sets you apart. Being able to distinguish from the temporary and the eternal. Notice the title of my sermon, 
today was building altars and pitching tents. It wasn't building tents and pitching altars. We spend time building the altar, the thing that is eternal, and we just pitch the tent, the thing that is temporary. We move it where God tells us to move it, and then we get back to building the altar. We are set apart when we know the difference. But when, when we know what is temporary in our life and what is eternal in our life, you can end up making the temporary more important than the eternal. Which came first in our story this morning, the altar or the tent? Remember I said, what did he build? And you said, what did he build? The altar came first because the temporary always flows out of the eternal. Too often we're trying to formulate a great eternity based on the temporary stuff. So we think that building a great family is building a great eternity, and it's, it's not. It's actually not the same. Certainly not building a career. Certainly not building your physical body. Certainly not building a great garden so you can survive the apocalypse or World War III. There are a lot of temporary things that are good things that we should invest in and we should focus on and, and we should give attention to. But we still need to know those are just tents. There's coming a day when all of those things are going to pass away. The marriage is going to pass away in eternity, not before then. The parenting, your role of parenting will never be over as long as you're on earth. I don't care how old your kids get. I will be 74 years old and my parents will still be wondering when I'm getting my act together. <laughs> and my dad said, amen. Your parenting never ends, no matter how old your kids get. But the moment you cross from here to there, you're no longer a parent. You're a son. You're only a son. You're only a daughter. Are you with me? It's a tent. Build, building great kids is wonderful. Their sports, amazing. Sign them up for as many as you want. But if you consider that an altar and you think that your life needs to revolve around the sports, you've totally missed the concept of tents and altars. We'll be playing baseball in heaven, but nobody will be getting paid for it. What is an altar? I guess you would like at least one blade to fill in today. <laughs> Sherry, get ready. <laughs> in the Hebrew, an altar is the place of slaughter. The place of slaughter. <laughs> a working definition it's a place of consecration, worship, thanksgiving, and encounter. The altar, the eternal, the thing that I'm asking you to focus on. Hey, maybe, maybe you've only been focused on tents. There's no shame. This is your moment. You're here for a reason so that you can now distinguish between tents and altars, and God is totally going to revolutionize your life because you're going to leave from this sermon and you're going to evaluate everything you've been investing your, your resource in, your, your emotions, your time, your money, 
you're going to evaluate that and you're going to shift some priorities. So don't feel bad because you've not been building an altar. You've only been pitching tents and you thought you were building altars. Don't feel bad. This is the moment where God is revolutionizing your thinking. He's reframing your, your perspective of life. It's a place of consecration, worship, thanksgiving, and encounter. The altar is where God does something in us. It's where he births something new in us at the altar. Not in the tent. Tents are lovely. They're wonderful. Especially when you just push a button and they pop up all on their own. But you come alive at the altar. There, there are two places on earth, in my opinion, where God continuously shows up for humanity. What? Daily. Two places. One, one is the altar and the second is the womb. I think the womb of a woman is much like an altar because it, it is the place where God can do something that only he can do and that's create. In the womb and in the altar, altar. It's a place of creation where God creates in us a clean heart, where he creates in us a new mind, where he creates in us new thinking, where he creates in us new surrender. And there are altars all throughout the Bible. Probably the first one, Nolan, that I can think of, the Bible doesn't specifically say this, but we can we can guess it, I guess, intuitively, or we can infer it because Cain and Abel gave sacrifice to the Lord, right? And if you do a Google search of Cain and Abel and you want to see pictures on it, you're going to come up with a picture of something like this. Cain and Abel, I like that one. One, one sacrifice was acceptable, one was smoke in the face. Um, that's, that's one picture uh, of an altar there. That's probably the first altar that the Bible references is Cain and Abel. And then we see later on in Genesis, Genesis chapter 8, I believe, another altar. We see Noah gets off of the ark after the animals and his family have survived the flood. And Noah comes off the ark, he builds an altar, and he offers clean animals. And the Bible says that the aroma was pleasing to God. That's another example of an altar in Scripture. Then we get to Abram in Genesis 12, and we see altar, 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 altar. Abraham is the altar-making guy, okay? We even see in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, he says that when we give our finances, when we give money to the kingdom, whether it's giving to the church through your tithe and your offering like we did earlier today, or giving to a homeless person on the street, you're being Jesus with skin on, when we give of our finances, it is an offering as if on an altar. Philippians 4. You're not giving money, by the way, to a person or a program. When you give money to the church, you're giving money to the Lord. And that's, that's actually one reason why I love giving at the barrels. We started this in 2020, 2021 because of COVID as an opportunity for families to come up and give at the barrels. And I've just not taken it away. We could pass the containers now. I just don't want to. Because quite literally, when my wife and I walk up here and we pray, and we give every Sunday, we give our tithe the 10% the moment we get paid within an hour or two. Sometimes I make a mistake and I, I take a day or two. But 
I believe in giving first fruits, so we do that. I get paid, I give our tithe. But then every Sunday, we've purposed in our heart that we're just going to give an offering. And that looks different from Sunday to Sunday. We've had good times where we give $30 offerings, $40 offerings, and she goes to all these evangelists around town, goes to church four times a week and gives offering, offering, offering. And I say, baby, can you pray about this? And can we lower that offering amount just a little bit because we need to eat? But we've had our weeks where we've given $2 in the offering. But we just value offering. We value giving above the tithe. The tithe belongs to God. That's his. If I don't give that, I'm robbing God according to the Bible. So, you know, I, I obey God with the tithe, but then I give more than the tithe with my offering. And so we just purpose in our heart. That's why you'll see us every Sunday here at the Barrels Giving, but quite literally... What we're doing is we're coming to the altar. I love the barrels here because it's at the altar. The altar marked Abram as a worshiper. Altars are powerful, guys. I'm not asking you to build an altar at your house that you kneel down and you light candles and you have this Mother Mary statue and rosaries and maybe a big Buddha belly. And God, God, please don't have every idol from every religion there either. That's not at all what I'm asking. I'm, I'm wanting to get into us this notion of what does it mean to build an altar? Because the truth is in Abram's life, you can see the steps of his progress by the altars that he left behind. So I want to help you build an altar next week. Next week, we're going to dig deeper into the power of building altars, how to build them, and what happens when we don't. Will you stand with me? Pray for my daughter, Michaela and Lawrence. As I said, they're do next Sunday. And I really want to preach this message next Sunday. So pray that uh, Luca waits until Monday or Tuesday. But seriously, as family, please pray just for a smooth delivery. Uh, pray that all goes well. Uh, Luca is already so loved by all of you. Uh, so we're just believing for a healthy baby, a smooth, smooth transition into this, this tangible oxygen breathing world amen tents and altars father i ask that this week you would help us to differentiate between the temporary and the eternal in our world help us to really honor and value the temporary let us not dismiss our marriage as if it's not important. Let us not dismiss our kids as if they can get the leftovers. No, God, we, on, we honor the tents that you've placed in our life. There's such value to the tent. But let us not sacrifice the altar for the tent. Our relationship with you, being consecrated in your service, being devoted to you, spending time with you, spending worship time. God, let us this week set aside a place at home to worship you, to encounter you to get revelation from you. Father, for anyone that's in the room that's not yet said yes to you, I hope they've heard of 
the best altar of all, the altar of the cross, the greatest slaughter of all, where you sent your son Jesus Christ to die on a cross so that we could be in relationship with you. God, we don't have to approach you as a perfect person. We don't have to have our act together. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to walk away from the sin. We just have to say yes to you. So if there's anyone in the room this morning or watching online, you're ready to say yes to Jesus. You're ready to come home. You're ready to at least take a step toward that altar, the altar of the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus so that you could become a son or a daughter. If that's you, if you're ready to say yes to that altar, will you just wave at me so I know who I'm praying for? You're ready to just come back home. You're ready to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And you don't know what that means exactly, but you're ready. You're ready to say yes. Will you just wave your hand at me so I know who I'm praying for this morning? Thank you. If you're watching online, will you just place your hand over your heart if you're ready to say yes to Jesus? And those in the room to support those who are saying yes, will you too place your hand on your heart? Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. I believe that he was buried and he rose again on the third day. From this moment forward, my life will never be the same. I place my faith in you as my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you just said yes to Jesus, please text NEXT, N-E-X-T, to 512-980-1220. Church, can we just celebrate the decisions that were made this morning? Awesome. Don't forget, Awaken is this Wednesday, 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. That's where we come and have corporate prayer. Also, don't forget to bring anything you want to give for our homeless outreach. You can get information outside. Now that you've been to church... Go be the church. God bless you. Go find your altars.